0: Good morning. Pretty, pretty anticlimactic, isn't it? The video ends. The awesome music. Lights come up. Just me. That's. Uh, thank you. I am a father. That's good. Hey, for for all you dads out there, Happy Father's Day. Um, we're in a we're in a short supply of good fathers in the Western world. So, um, thank you for, for doing what you do. On a serious note. So, okay. So we are working through the Gospel of John, been working through this for quite some time, continuing to, to work our way through it. I think I said this last week, we're in a, a very fascinating part, not just of the Gospel of John, but of the entire Bible, um, a part that is very heavy. Uh, we're in kind of the last 24 hours of Jesus's life until he is arrested, crucified. So um, you can imagine the weight. It's a, it's a, very, it's a very heavy part. Of the Bible, we're also in a part where it is predominantly all Jesus speaking. for the next couple of chapters. Um, it's all a monologue by Jesus. And, and what he is doing at this point, chapter four that we were in last or chapter 14, I'm sorry, that we were in last weekend, um, Jesus is wrapping up the Last Supper. We call it the Last Supper because it's the last time he was going to eat with, with his disciples before he was crucified, and he knows he has a limited amount of time. So what Jesus is doing at this this chunk of the Bible is he's trying to to reemphasize, he's he's kind of going over all the principles that he's been teaching these guys for years and just making sure he hammers these points home before he leaves in in physical form, right? We know that he's gonna return in in spiritual form as the Holy Spirit, but he's trying to, to, to get out all this information. So he's talking to them a lot. In chapter 14, there's some, some very important theology. I would say the bedrock of Christian theology comes up in chapter 14, and we talked about this last week, that, that Jesus Christ is exclusively the only pathway to, to God the Father. And so we talked about this exclusivity, and we asked ourselves, do we truly understand that? Do we truly understand that not only Jesus, but the word that Jesus has taught us and given us is the only, the only pathway to salvation? So Jesus is re-emphasizing that point to his disciples. And at the end of chapter 14, it's kind of neat, the context, and it's important to to, to talk about this context because we understand the Bible better. At the end of chapter 14, Jesus gets done. He wraps up this meal. There's only 11 left because Judas has has left to to go betray Jesus. And Jesus says, let's get up. Let's, Let's go outside. He basically says, let's walk around. Let's talk some more but let's go walk around out in the garden. Let's talk in the garden. Now, this is important because it sets up the chapter we're gonna do today because Jesus is going to use an an agricultural analogy, a lesson. And and what's neat to think about, if you like to to kind of conceptualize things in your mind, Jesus is walking around talking about the vine. That's what we're gonna be talking about a lot today. This vine and that we're to be connected to that vine. And if we're connected to that vine, we produce the fruit of God. But as Jesus is walking around teaching the disciples this, they were, in a, they were in a vineyard setting. There would have been grapes growing on vines. There would have been flowers, beautiful trees, all this agriculture around them. And um, it would have been a really good kind of object lesson, if you will. And that's what we're going to get into today. We're going to talk about the vine, which is Jesus, and that um, it is impossible for us to be productive, produce fruit, produce um, fruit to not wither away unless we are connected to that vine. So if you're new to to Christianity, new to the church, um, the Bible is not overtly hard to understand for the most part, especially all this stuff we're gonna talk about today. It's not complicated, Um, but just because some of the teachings of Jesus are easy uh, to understand doesn't mean that they're easy to execute. And so we're gonna talk about that a little bit today. We're gonna to be honest and, and, and talk about how there are some things that Jesus tells us to do. It's like, man, Jesus, that's hard. Um, but we have to stay connected to the vine. And if we are, we're we're able to do those things. This picture reminds me, if my mom's watching this morning from St. Louis, she'll remember the, the person's name. I can't remember their name because I was young and they were old. Uh... I was born in St. Louis. After we lived in St. Louis, we lived in Dallas. This picture reminds me. I remember my parents had a a friend before my parents got divorced. Uh, they had a friend that had a really, really nice in-ground pool in this, um, this brick wall kind of around the pool and wild grapes would grow on it. And so you could sit there and like, you know, like chill in the pool and then get up and like pick wild grapes and eat it. That's living, by the way, when you get out of your pool to eat wild grapes. Um, but I remember just a child doing that and that's, That has no relevance for what we're gonna talk about. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about my childhood in Dallas, Texas for a while. So anyways, let me um, me pray. We'll jump into this. You should have got notes handouts when you walked in. Everything will be in there. Everything will be on the screen. Uh, Everything's on the app. Click on sermon notes. If you have a Bible, fourth book of the New Testament written by uh, the disciple John. So let's pray. Let's talk about some interesting stuff, maybe some difficult stuff. Uh, some very challenging stuff, but very, very important stuff, okay? Father God, we love you. Lord, I just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for everyone in this room, God, especially I want to thank you for the fathers in this room who are loving the wives, Lord, that, that they're supposed to be uh, loving properly, that they're, they're raising their children, being the kind of men that they're supposed to be, God, we thank you so much for them. Lord, I just pray that you keep your, your, your hand on our church this morning. I pray, God, not only for our church, we pray for every church in our our county, Lord, that that is honoring you by teaching the word. We pray for our other campuses and all the churches in those communities and counties, God. We pray for our great nonprofits that we work with. And Father, ultimately, uh, our prayer is always as we're reading your word and as we're taking communion later and and worshiping, we just pray that it all honors you and that, that it brings us closer to you And, uh, Lord, that as we're going to talk about today, that we thrive, not because of us, but because we're connected to you, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, God, and we pray all these things in your Son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everything I'm going to read today is uh, straight from the mouth of Christ himself, okay? I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. This is very important, verse eight. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples." So this terminology would have been very um, easily understandable for the disciples. We don't talk a lot in agricultural terminology in in, in a metropolitan area like Murfreesboro. Um, But in this time, the the, the talk of vineyards, the talk of vines and fruit and agriculture would would have been very common. They would have understood this. Not only that, in the Old Testament, the vine, or or Israel, is often referred to as the vine. So not only was Jesus using language that they could understand, he was also using very biblical language. And so the analogy is this. Um, The vineyard, the vineyard owner, is God. The vine that produces the fruit in the vineyard is Jesus. And we, if we're true followers, and, and listen, I'm gonna use the word true and truly a lot today. If we are true followers, we are branches that are connected to the vine that produce fruit. So Jesus tells his disciples that the branches that do not produce fruit, God cuts them off, they wither away because you die if you're not connected to the vine, right? And they are thrown into a fire and burned. Now this instantly brings up a theological argument. There are two different camps that look at this scripture Two different ways. One camp says this is talking about salvation. This is talking about heaven and hell. That's why the allusion to fire. John also writes in the book of Revelation that Jesus will literally send people who are evil to an eternal lake of fire. So there's, there's a little bit of a connection there. So some people are saying this is talking about heaven and hell. Other people say it is not talking about heaven or hell. This is talking about living a productive, fruitful Christian life. Now now I'm a dullard, right? Like I, I have a I have a bachelor's degree in English literature and a minor in film. You can't have a more worthless degree. But but so things have to be very simple for me. But but I see that in this context, I think Jesus is talking about a little bit of both. Because we cannot live fruitful, productive lives unless we are saved and connected to Jesus, right? And so I think both of these come into play. I think it's that if we're not connected to Jesus, we wither in this life. And then if we're not connected to Jesus and we wither in this life, we will also suffer eternally for for not being connected to the vine. So I think it's both. But but here's what people always want to talk about. Corey, are you saying that we can lose our salvation? Because really when people ask this question, they want to find out how little they can do and still not go to hell. So this question of, can we lose our salvation? Listen, again, I'm a very simple person. I have to have things in, in very simple terms. If one is truly saved, according to Jesus, in John chapter 14, they will have a desire not only to know God, but to keep his commands. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, let's just make sure we're all on the same frequency right here. We all, I I think if you're a Christian here, you would agree the only way to be saved is that we must love Jesus, correct? I don't think we can be saved and not love Jesus, at least according to Jesus. So if one claims salvation, but they do not live in Jesus's words or even have a desire to live in Jesus's words, I would make the argument, or I think Jesus would make the argument, that there is no evidence of salvation, that they're not saved, so, if we are to know a tree by its fruit, I'm quoting Jesus a lot in church for the last two weekends. Sorry about that. If if we if we know a tree by its fruit, and a fruit, and, and if a tree has no fruit on it, or doesn't even have a desire to have fruit on it, I think we can make a pretty righteous judgment that that fruit, that sorry, that that tree, is in trouble. And so. The the linchpin, in my opinion, of this first part that we just read is that Jesus says we are to prove that we are his disciples. I was talking to a buddy of mine last night over text who comes to this church. He's a lawyer, and and in his line of work, you have to have proof if you're going to make an accusation or if you're going to try to, to, to show that someone is innocent. There needs to be proof of this. There has to be evidence that they are these things, So if I'm gonna claim that I am a follower of Jesus, there should be evidence in my life that I am following Jesus. The evidence that we are to see, according to Jesus, is that we are to be continuing in his word, John chapter eight. We are to keep his commands if we love him, John chapter 14, and we should be producing fruit. And and some of the fruit that that Paul talks about is in Galatians five, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, self-control, self-control. So again, so who are these burned branches? What is Jesus talking about? This is just my opinion. I think it's a pretty good opinion, but, but you can have a differing opinion if you want. Most likely the burned branches are those who falsely claim to follow Jesus, but are really in it for themselves. They have the appearance of being connected to the vine, but we find out that they're really not. And we see this in Judas. To, to the naked eye, to the people observing the, the 12 disciples who are like, man, Judas is a great guy. Look, he, follow, he goes everywhere Jesus goes. But we find out his heart was not in the right place and he was deceptive in that. So, those who do remain connected to the vine though, those who truly abide in Jesus. Those of you, some of you dads in here just went to the Big Lebowski, didn't you? It has nothing to do, it's not like that those true Christians that abide in Jesus, which means they they live in Jesus, they rest in Jesus, they are connected to Jesus, they produce much fruit. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't times when we fail. I'll even take it a step further. That doesn't mean there aren't sometimes seasons where we are failing. You old schoolers in the room would call it backsliding, which means we revert to a former state that is not as good as the one we are in now. We go backwards. Now, there are times when we may experience that, but the true Christian, true Christian, will eventually repent of these things, strive to live righteously, and produce the fruit of one that is connected to the vine. So when we abide in Jesus, when we live in Jesus, how we live changes, how we treat others changes, and, and how we grow in our relationship with God drastically changes. Now look one of the fruit that we are to produce from that relationship with Jesus is loving other people. It's going to start to get difficult now, okay? As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I I have learned from my Father. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another." So the Father loves the Son. God the Father loves Jesus Christ the Son, and then Jesus Christ's love is reflected onto us. Now, we are to live in this love, but in order to live in Jesus's love, according to Jesus, we have to keep his commands or... We have to keep his word is another way of saying it. Now, listen, why is that important? Corey, are you saying that I can't live in the love of God and and not follow his words? That's absolutely what I'm saying. Here's why. We can't live in God's love if we choose to live in rebellion to the word of God. Hold on. The reason why is it is through the word of God that we understand what love is. I can't live in something if I don't even know how to define it or where to find it. This is one of the asinine statements of American culture right now. We say things like, like, love is love. And I'm like, what is love? Love is love. That makes no sense to me. Nor does it to anyone who is saying it. They just say it because someone else out there is saying it as well. Love is love. That statement makes no sense unless we define what love is. The Bible says God is love. That means the principles, the teachings, the instruction. This is the definition of true love. And I cannot live in the love of God unless I live and adhere to the Word of God. It is only through the Word of God that we are set free and have a knowledge. Of what love is we throw around the word love so haphazardly in the same paragraph we'll say we love our spouse and love hot dogs in the same paragraph and what's not to love right all of God's creatures crammed into one convenient little package there I'm a vegetarian that's for you meat eaters to figure out what the heck is in those things but anyways but we throw, throw around words so carelessly and so if we live in Jesus's love, Jesus says you have joy and it is complete joy. This is also very very important. The joy and the contentment that the Bible talks about is not the kind of happiness that the world tries to sell you. What the world tries to sell you is you will be happy if you have these things. You will be happy if you get a little, you know, a lot of thumbs up on your social media. You will be happy if you're beautiful. You'll be happy if you drive this kind of car and live in this kind of neighborhood. And you will be happy if you have this kind of partner or whatever the case may be. And that is contingent. The world's happiness is contingent on your circumstances. The complete joy and contentment of God is not contingent on your circumstances. Remember, Jesus is looking at a group of men saying, you're going to have complete joy. Oh yes, and Peter, you're going to be crucified upside down. Bartholomew, you're going to be skinned alive. John, you're going to be boiled alive and thrown out onto an island. These are men that are going to face horrific futures. But even in the face of a horrific future, they had joy, they had contentment. What does this teach us? It teaches us that if we are living in the vine, contentment is not confined to what we have or don't have. It's not contingent on what we have or don't have, like the world sells it to us. We also find out that if we are living in a relationship with Jesus, we are friends of God. It's a big deal. If you read this Bible from cover to cover, not from from since Abraham, which is way back here in the Old Testament, not since Abraham had God ever called any of his followers friends. So what does this mean? It means that through Jesus, the the, the friend sphere, the friend group of God expands to where it's not just a select group of people in the Old Testament. Jesus comes along and says, this is conditional. He says, if you keep my commands, you're my friends. So that means anyone who holds on to the words and teachings of Jesus is now a friend of God. That circle has, has been to where everyone is invited into this intimate relationship with God. Now, here's where we also have to be careful. This does not diminish the the personhood, the the, the power, the reverence that we should have of God. We have a tendency because we read scripture like this, well, I'm a friend of God. Yeah, Jesus is my homeboy, he's my friend, he's my bro, he's not. Um, Jesus is the all creator, all powerful creator of the universe. Jesus is the one that everything was created through him, by him, for him. He spoke it all into existence. He, according to Revelation, will speak it all out of existence. Now, is he our friend? Yes, he is our friend, but he's also God, and we have to approach him in such a manner. The reason why is in the book of Proverbs, it says that a fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So if we're to be wise, we, we should honor God in, in, in the proper context, So Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. And so the disciples were like, great, that's awesome. We are your friends. All we have to do is keep all your teachings. That's fantastic. Now, listen, that applies to all of Jesus's teachings, but Jesus is gonna give us a very, very hard command right here. The one that he's alluding to is, you are a friend of me, a friend of God, if you love all people. All people. You know, we, we, we typically, we amen that as Christians. We love all people, right? We're just in love with people. So my, my left-leaning Christians may be in here this morning or left-leaning people in general. If you're in here this morning, do, do, do you love Donald Trump? <laughs> do you love him? Do you pray for him? Do you wish the best for him? Do you love Trump supporters? Do you love people on the, on the far extreme right side of the political spectrum? Do you love him? And all you conservatives are like, kid him, Corey. <laughs> you conservative Christians in here, you love Nancy Pelosi, right? She falls under the all umbrella. Do you pray for her? Do you want what's best for her? When you see grown men dress up as women at Dodger Stadium and make fun of the, the, the Catholic Church in the name of transgenderism, do you say, man, I love those guys? I'm just throwing Bible out at you guys this morning, if that's cool. Jesus, listen, there was no contingency. Do you know the Bible says even the, the pagans, even the people who worship false religions and, 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 or atheists, even they like people like them. The Christians are called to go outside of what is comfortable and to love everybody. Absolutely Everybody. Now, there's a caveat to that, and I'll get to that here in a second. But as he continues on, he says, if you are living in me, you will be connected to me and whatever you ask for in my name, you will get. Now, we talked about this last week. That doesn't mean that we just throw Jesus's name on any prayer and we get it. It means that when we are connected to Jesus, we pray for things that are in God's will. And when we pray for things in God's will, we receive those things. So let's go back to this love thing, love thing though here for a second. Jesus said we are to love all people, all people. That means even, even if you can think of someone as diametrically opposed to your ideology and thoughts as humanly possible, you are to love them. You are to, to genuinely love them. What we live in though in the United States is, is a narrative that we cannot love people who disagree with us. That's what you guys are sold all the time, right? This is why I I, I encourage you to watch the news less, to be on social media less, because what happens is Fox News is trying to sell you that everyone who's a Democrat wants to murder every single child and they hate you and, and all this stuff. And then CNN wants to sell you that anyone that's a Republican or conservative is a racist and they hate all black people and they're bigoted and they're mean. And then what's interesting, though, is if you actually go out into the real world and talk to real humans, not everyone's like that. But, but that doesn't sell. Unity doesn't sell. Division sells like hotcakes. So they try to sell that crap to you, and they say, well, if this person disagrees with you, you better fight. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The, the, the Word of God teaches that we are to radically love. Listen, here's the tension, okay? Someone wrote a really good book on this in 2020. It might be out in the lobby. So, so the Word teaches that we, we are to radically love people. Radically love people. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, love those who hate you, right? Radically love. But at the same time, we are to firmly hold on to the truth of the Bible. And we cannot let go of either one of those. And I'm gonna tell you, if you hold on to both of those firmly, it stretches you. Because here's the thing about, about love. We often say, because we, we say it out of fear, that I, well, I love them so much, I don't wanna hurt their feelings. Well, here's the thing. There is no love without truth. If I lie to you, I'm not loving you. If I withhold information that can save your soul and your marriage and your family, I'm not loving you. we, We must be honest with people if we're to really love them, especially with eternal truths. Now, here's the thing with this. We're gonna talk honest for a second. I have friends in my life, and my wife has friends in her life, that that are atheists, that live lifestyles that we don't agree with, but we still love them. They still love us, and, and we have a friendship, a certain level of friendship, and that's beautiful, but that is not always the case. We can love perfectly, and we can even tell the truth perfectly, and sometimes the backlash will be hatred. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my Father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else had done, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But this happened so that the statement in their law, the Old Testament, might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes, the one who will, uh, that I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus goes from a conversation about how we are to love others, listen to this, to how they may hate us back. So last week, we talked about this a little bit. Satan is the ruler of the world. That doesn't mean that the the literal geographical world or geological world, that means that the culture of the world, that, that the culture of the world is dominated by the devil. If we understand that the culture of the world is dominated by the devil, we shouldn't be surprised that people who adhere their lives to culture hate Jesus and hate the followers of Jesus. That shouldn't shock us. This is very important, listen to me. This hatred of God, even if it's a subconscious hatred, this hatred of Jesus Christ and God is because of God's ultimate authority and his absolute truth. Now listen, two words in that stand out, authority and truth. If you think about the culture of the United States right now, what does the culture of the United States think about authority and truth? What do we think about those things? We have no respect for one, and we think truth is up to the individual and not absolute. Because here's the thing. We are constantly taught, you and I, your children are taught this, we're taught this, and every song we we listen to, every TV show we watch, every advertisement that's in between those things, we are taught that life is all about us. And the reason why we hate the absolute authority and the absolute truth is if life is all about me, I'm going to hate whatever gets in my way. You guys with me this morning, correct? Do you notice there's also a very unique hatred just for Christianity? Is there any Netflix movies making fun of Muhammad? Are there any Netflix movies making fun of Buddha or Krishna or Vishnu or Confucius? Can you think of any? Is there anything, is there any songs? Those of you who are into old school metal, is there any like really hateful Norwegian black metal about Confucius or Buddha or any? No, they're all about Jesus. And it's interesting, there's a unique hatred exclusively for Christianity. I'll, I'll take it even a step further. I remember in 2000, I think it was 15, when we passed it nationally in the United States that the, the gay marriage was going to be legal in all 50 states. No Christians did anything harmful that I'm aware of to gay people. We may have disagreed with that, but there was no violence in the streets out of it. In Muslim nations, they were dropping gay men off 10-story buildings. Was there any news about that? Was there any hatred about that? Was there any talk of bigotry about that? No. There There is a unique hatred exclusively For Christ, and I'm gonna tell you where I think that comes from. I think subconsciously, deep down in the hearts of every man and woman, we know there is only one absolute truth and authority. And we know that it's not Muhammad or Krishna or Vishnu or Confucius or the teachings of Buddha. We know where it comes from. And we push back against it because it interrupts how we want to live our lives. Now listen, this subconscious hate or even conscious hate will eventually turn to action. Jesus says, a servant is no greater than his master. What does he mean? Jesus said, I suffered for the principles and teachings of the kingdom. You're also going to suffer for the principles and the teachings of the kingdom. That the hatred of this world, I'm pretty sure CSX hates me. For 14 years, they've been driving by this building, just, what? (laughs) All the way. So the hatred of this world, will manifest itself socially, which I think we're seeing in the Western world, and eventually it will manifest itself in a physical persecution. We're not seeing that in the Western world yet. We've been seeing it in the world ever since the people of God have been walking around the world, but we haven't seen physical persecution in the Western world yet, but it's coming. So Jesus says, here we're gonna get to the difficult stuff now. Jesus says the hatred of Christ and Christianity is birthed out of ignorance. He says, they hate me because they don't know the one who sent me. They're going to hate you because they don't know the one who sent you. Now, here's the hard part. In this, because we know that people hate us because they, they, are, they are disconnected from the vine, because we know this, we are to look past people's hatred and we are to love them anyways. We are to look past their hatred and love them anyways. We are to look past their hatred and and hopefully spread the gospel and the truth to them, even if there is a possibility of us being physically harmed. And we sit back from that and we go, that is radical. It is absolutely radical. It's a radical, ridiculous love. We see it when Jesus is nailed to the cross and the same soldiers that put the nails through his wrists and his feet, he looks up to the heavens and he says, God, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing. And we say, well, that's Jesus, Corey. We're not Jesus, that was Jesus. Go to Acts chapter seven, the first person to ever die for Jesus, Stephen. Stephen is getting stoned in the street, rocks thrown at his head until he is killed in the middle of the street. And a young man named Saul, Paul, was holding the coats of the people, throwing the rocks at Stephen's head. And what does Stephen do? He looks up to the sky. It says that he sees it open up and he says, Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He looked past their hatred and he still loved the people that were against him. And this is what we're called to do. Here's the other side of this. Listen, this is a balance. We as Christians, the the majority of us in this room, we are called to go out and share the gospel with people. We've talked about that several times. We'll talk about a little bit more here in a minute. The, The other side of that is, Though we are to go out and share the gospel, people also have to accept the gospel. So, so sometimes Christians will say things like this it's a fear tactic that preachers are, are use with their congregations. Man, if we don't go out, everyone's gonna go to hell. Well, here's the thing if, if you or I end up in hell, it is ultimately our fault. It's not our pastor's fault, it's not our neighbor's fault, it's not our parent, it's our fault. We are left without excuse. Jesus says, because I came, because I taught the truth, because they had access to the Holy Spirit, everyone is responsible for themselves. Now, there's two parts of that. Jesus went looking for us, right? He felt responsible to look for us to save us, but we also have to say yes. Christians should feel a responsibility to go out and find lost people as well, but ultimately those people have to say yes. So God will reveal the truth to people. We're going to go on, and we read this in this last part. Um, um, so, so people will make the argument, well, Corey, all these hypothetical arguments. Corey, what if there's an indigenous tribe on an island somewhere off the coast of East Africa, and they've, they never had access to Bibles? What about them? Are they all going to go to hell? No, no, Jesus isn't cold-blooded. It says in verse 26 and 27 that the, the, the Holy Spirit will testify, which means... God's Spirit will go out. And if there are people asking the bigger questions, even if they don't have all the information we have, I believe God will give everyone enough information, even if that's supernaturally, for them to be able to at least uh, go to heaven, right? They may not be arguing about Calvinism and Arminianism, which they're better off for, but, but anyways, they'll have enough access. So, so the Holy Spirit is working, but we are to be working as well. The problem is we are left without excuse. We have accessibility to the truth, especially in the Western world, man. If you grew up in the United States, we're not gonna have much that we can, we're we're gonna use an excuse in front of Jesus. We have freedom, we have clarity, we have accessibility to the truth of God. The problem is not our accessibility to the truth. The problem is, is that we're arrogant. We're selfish, we're unwilling to look for the truth. In our society, we're also a people of victims. We have no personal responsibility. And I tell you this because I love you. That's, that's not going to work when you stand in front of Christ. Jesus is going to say, tell me what you did with, my, you know, with the life I gave you. Oh, well, I was broke all the time because of Biden. You're broke because you spend more than you make. That's why you're broke. Well, you know, I, I did all these things because uh, I got hurt in a church one time. People love to fall back on that. You probably had bad service at a restaurant one time too. Did you stop eating? We blame it on our parents. We blame it on our friends. It's everyone's fault except for ours. And when we stand in front of Jesus, Jesus is gonna say, we weren't talking about your parents. We're not talking about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We're not talking about your old pastor. What did you do with your life? Listen, let me tell you something. If you're a Christian in here, If you've lived a rough life, I'm sorry, I really am. I also wanna tell you this, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have scars from life. I just wanna share that with you. We've all had to go through it a little bit. Here's the other thing, regardless of what you've done or regardless of what's been done to you, as a Christian, you have to know that the Holy Spirit is bigger. And it's, listen, it's time to let God heal you and walk on. Walk on. The problem is this. It is impossible to see God work in our lives when all we do is constantly look at ourselves. We have to raise our eyes and look to him, but we make it all about us. And Jesus said, they hated me for no reason. It's audacious to hate Jesus Christ. It really is. It is an audacious thing to hate him. Jesus quotes a couple of songs that David wrote about a a, a hypothetical righteous man that was hated for no reason just to show how audacious it is to hate your creator. We hate Jesus, but Jesus wants what's best for us. Jesus even says he disciplines us because he loves us. He tells us what is right and wrong so our marriages don't fall apart, so our kids don't run wild, so society doesn't tank, so we don't spend eternity separated from him. His commands are for our benefit. But again, the problem is is that we don't wanna be held accountable. No one's going to tell me how to live my life. And if because we hate accountability and we hate truth, anything besides my truth, we project that hatred onto Jesus because Jesus says, I came to draw a line. This is right and this is wrong. How dare you tell me what is right and wrong? The creator tells us who is right and wrong. And so the bottom line is this, is guys, we have a lot of work to do. The world is a mess. Why? Because people are a mess. I get a kick out of, you know, man, I'll throw it out there. The reason why the United States, one of the reasons why the United States is in the dumpster fire that it is right now is because the church has failed to do what it's supposed to do for a long time. We love, as we get older, right? I'm in my mid-40s, middle-aged. As you get into your middle ages, you start looking at the next generation, you're like, look how screwed up they are. (laughs) They're not gonna amount to anything. And you know what hits you? Oh, crap, we're the one that raised them. You guys with me? We're so quick to point the finger at our children. Who are they watching? Who are they learning from? Who failed to disciple them in the principles of the, of, of the teachings of Jesus Christ? We look back and look at a society that's a, a dumpster fire. Man, some of us need to be looking in the mirror a little bit. Jesus has called Christians to be a reflection of his light until he returns. We are the torch carriers right now. If the light is going to get into your neighborhood, to your school, to your local government, to, to wherever you are, we are the carriers of that. Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And if the light is hidden, how dark will it be? If the salt is taken out, how tasteless will society be? Have we not seen that? But the only way we can be the salt and the light is we must be connected to the vine. We must be connected to the counselor. And look what Jesus says. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's gonna be working. The Holy Spirit is gonna be touching uh, uh, the Muslim's heart in Kuwait who never had an opportunity to be around Christians. God is going to reveal himself to people, to that indigenous tribe off the coast of Africa. The Holy Spirit's going to be working. He's going to be testifying. But Jesus says, you know who else needs to be testifying? You, you, you. This is every Christian's call to go out into the world and to bear the fruit of biblical love. But that's what we are called to do. First, though, we have to live in the vine. Listen to me. Living in Jesus, living in the vine produces, as Jesus says, much fruit. Jesus changes the way we think. He changes our mindsets. Jesus changes our hearts, he changes our emotions, he he even changes our desires and feelings when we're connected to the vine, and therefore, when our minds are changed and our hearts are changed, our actions change, and that builds us up. It's good for us. It honors God, and it blesses those around us. Okay, you're sold. Corey, how do we live in the vine? To get into the vine, to live into the vine first, we need to be asking the big questions, Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my value? What is my identity? Listen, you guys live in a country right now where people are actually asking the right questions, but they're going to the wrong source for the answers. Right now, the name of the game is identity, and that's a good question to ask. What is my identity? But the Bible answers it. Your identity is not gender or color or nationality or or social status. Your gender is in your creator. People are asking the right question. We're just not giving them the right answer. People are asking, where do I find my value? But we think it's in fame and fortune and and, and sex and drugs and part. And we haven't directed them to the right source of where their value is. But if we're gonna be in the vine, we first have to be asking the big questions. But we also have to be looking for the answers and accepting the answers, which means we may have to humble ourselves and say, we have done it wrong. Forgive me, Father, I have sinned. I have done things that you don't want me to do. And then we have to be obedient to the word of God because you can only love him if you keep his commands We can only be in him and him in us if we keep his commands according to Jesus. And when we are in the vine, the most important fruit that we can produce is the fruit of love. First, we should experience it in our own life. Jesus first loved us, and in this love we find complete joy, peace, fulfillment, not as the world sells it, not on contingent on my circumstances and my belongings, but re- regardless of what I have or don't have, I have contentment if, I co- if I'm connected to the vine. And if we truly love Jesus, we will follow his commands, correct? We've established that. And the second biggest command he ever gave humanity was love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus was approached by the religious people. And they said, Jesus, we have hundreds and hundreds of laws. Which one is the most important? Jesus says, well, it's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and your soul. And then he adds something to it and he says, and there's another one. They're like, oh. He says, the second one is similar to the first one. Love others like you love yourself. Second great commandment. Now listen, if we're being honest in this room, loving others is not always easy, is it? Can we be honest? Are you guys honest in here? Does anyone else have the fantasies about like getting the equity in your house in Middle Tennessee and moving to Wyoming, hoping you never see another human again? Has it it crossed anyone else's mind besides mine? Sometimes you're like, how many hundreds of acres can I get in Wyoming? Interesting, right? So loving others and putting others first is not a natural thing for us to do. You know what? Jesus doesn't want you to live by your natural tendencies. Jesus wants you to live by his supernatural tendencies. When we are connected to the supernatural vine, we start to live supernaturally. It is not natural for us to love those who hate us, but it is supernatural. And you know what that means? Listen, I'm not trying to be controversial or a jerk this morning. That means some of you who who are maybe politically right-leaning I'm being serious. I'm not trying to be funny or controversial. You may need to get on your face and pray about pray about how you feel about people who are who are very different from you. Those of you who are maybe left-leaning ideologically, you need to get on your face and you need to tell Jesus or ask Jesus, "Give me a love for people who think differently than me. Give me a love for people who offend me. Give me a love for people who are who are are adamantly opposed to me, who even hate me. This is why Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Love those who hate you. If someone steals your shoes, offer them your shirt, Jesus says. Corey, that's crazy. It's not crazy, it's supernatural. Amen. It is not natural, it is supernatural. So loving other people is not always easy. And listen, if we love people the way the Bible tells us to, it's difficult. We are called to love all kinds. Can we say we do that? Now, listen, here's what's so important. We are to love all people, but we are not to agree with how all people live. There's a lot of churches in the United States right now that say we're a loving church. Everything is welcome. Listen, we're a loving church, but not every teaching is welcome in this place. There are some things that are wrong, not because I, I deem them wrong, because God deems them wrong. And the tension that we are to live in, do we love radically? And do we also hold on to our biblical integrity? Last thing. I don't know if anyone else in this room feels it, but truly living in a relationship with Jesus every single day is not always easy. Guys, sometimes it is easier just to cave into sin, isn't it? Holding on to the truth is not always easy, especially when we live in a society that is constantly pummeling us with lies. Loving others in a biblical manner is not easy. Now listen, all these things will bear fruit, but Jesus also promises they will also garner hatred. They will hate you because they've hated me first. So let me ask you a question. Jesus says if we are to be his disciples, we are to deny ourselves, pick up a cross, and carry him. Are you and I willing to advance the kingdom of God even if it means we lose our friends? Even if it means that that, that society deems us as bigoted or small-minded or mean-spirited or or old-fashioned, Whatever the the terminology may be, not only that, are we ready for for possible physical persecution? Paul says this, let us not grow tired of doing good. I added in the orange part, the only way we can not grow tired of, of doing good is we must be connected to the vine. Think about it from an agricultural standpoint. You cannot get fruit unless the branch is connected to the vine. There can be no production of anything worth anything unless it is connected to the vine. How can we produce good? Only we can only produce fruit if we are connected to the vine. And look at this. And we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. That's not just talking about heaven. If you don't grow tired of living in the vine, your marriage will reap fruit. Your family will reap fruit. Your your relationships will reap fruit. You will reap fruit in this life. And then at the proper time, we will reap the ultimate fruit, which is an eternity with God in heaven. Therefore, look, therefore, look at this. As we have opportunity, let us work for the good of those who think just like us. No, sir. We work for the good of all. Does that mean that we will agree with all? No. Does that mean that all will love us? No. But we are to work for the good of all. And look at this, especially those who belong to the household of faith. You know what's interesting about that last line? Whenever a, a, a famous pastor falls, has a moral failure, whenever a church messes up, who is the first one in line to kick him? All the Christians. that we are to especially love those that we call brother and sister. So are you and I living in the vine? Are we living interconnectedly with Jesus? We connected to him, do we rest in him? Do we abide in him? Do we talk to him? Do we lean on him? Do we know God? If we do, we should be properly loving others That doesn't mean I condone what you do, but I love you. I want you to be saved. I want God to touch your heart. I wanna be with you for eternity. That doesn't mean I agree with you on everything, but I love you. And are we fighting the temptation to give up? Again, guys, I'm not trying to be controversial this morning, but man, next year is gonna be a crap show in the United States. I kid you not. I kid you, I'm not a prophet, but I have eyes good enough to see that next year is gonna be a crap show. It's gonna be a mess. And you know, every single outlet available is going to be selling division to you. They're going to be selling hatred to you. They're going to be selling you that if you do this, if you think like that, you're this. They're they're gonna call you the enemy. Both sides, guys, both sides, man, because that's how they make all their money. That's how they keep you glued to the television. Everything's on fire, right? Everything's on fire. Every white person is a racist. Every black person is entitled. Every Mexican got here illegal and they're just trying to steal your job. Everyone hates everybody. Then you get out in the real world and you meet people and you're like, you're not that bad, right? I'm not that bad. We need to make sure we do not give up because if the world loses its saltiness, that is us, the flavor, the the, the, the perseverance goes away. If if, if the light of the world, that's us, if it is not out amongst people, it gets very dark, very dark. Jesus says, we're we're not given this light so we can hide it. We're given this light so the entire city can be affected by it. We must not grow tired in doing good. The only way to not grow tired, gotta be connected to that vine. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you're not a believer, you're looking, you're digging, you're asking those big questions we were talking about, really, really glad you're here, seriously. If you have any questions, up here on my right, your left, is Pastor Mike. He would be more than happy to talk with you. Uh, please don't feel embarrassed or intimidated by that. We get a lot of questions. Go up here and you can, uh, you can ask Mike anything you want. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage if you need prayer for anything in your life. It doesn't matter what, anything. And then the last thing is, all the way around the room where there is a lamp on a table, In the majority of these posts in the middle of the room, there is bread and wine, that is communion, that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone is welcome to take the communion if you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, okay? I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna include myself in this prayer. Father God, we love you and we thank you. Um, Father, the world is aggressive, the world is tense, The world is uh, easily offended. The world is angry. And, And Father, as we go back out into that chaos, Father, don't let us grow weary of doing your work. Don't let us grow weary of staying connected to you. Don't let us grow weary in loving even the most unlovable people. God, give us the kind of heart that you want for us to have. Give us the kind of eyes that see people not as adversaries, but as people made in your image. That even if we're being killed in the streets for your name, God, that we will say, forgive them, Father, they don't know you. And that, Lord, maybe we will see people because of us change and come to be in a relationship with you. Bless every woman in this room, God. Bless every man in this room. Bless every child in this building. Walk with us, God, and lead us, Lord, and help us be connected to you, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. We pray all these things in your name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.